The Rappaport Diamond Podcast is brought to you by Rappaport Academy, your e-learning course for successful diamond trading. Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, the podcast that shines a light on the diamond industry. I'm your host, David Ehrlich, and this week we're going to catch up with the team after their trip to the mecca of the diamond and jewelry industry, JCK Las Vegas. The journey was surely long, and jet lag weighed them down, but the Rappaport team at JCK saw and learned much from industry insiders about how the market is doing. Lots of issues were addressed during the show, and some events sparked interest, intrigue, and even controversy. This year, the focus was on ethical and transparent sourcing, whether that was in the conversation around synthetic disclosure or in the wider discussions that have permeated the industry about the blockchain and its implications. Martin Rappaport also gave a speech on transparency and took his shot at De Beers' policy of non-disclosure. And Sonia sat down with Joshua to talk about what happened at the fashion and design side of the show. Telling us all about the show is Rappaport's editorial team. Rappaport's senior analyst, Avi Kravitz, is back from the show here and I think over the jet lag. So Avi, who were you surprised to meet at JCK this year? Well, thanks, David. It's great to be here again in this our uh, seventh podcast. Yeah, that's right. We're on a roll. Great. So, um, uh, Las Vegas is always a, an exciting opportunity to catch up with um, old friends in the industry and people that you see maybe once a year at these events. Um, so it was great to see everyone. But I, I tend to get a bit starstruck. And this year at um, Levian, which is a, a jewelry um, manufacturing and focus on colored diamonds in a lot of their design. They have a big event each year, which they call their red carpet event. And so as I strutted down the red carpet this year to the Levian trend forecast that they provide a uh, an outlook of what's coming up design-wise for the next year. And they announced their color of the year, which this year is nude diamonds. How do you spell that? N-U-D-E. <laughs> They have a. And what color is nude exactly? It's um, the color of your skin, John. <laughs> so this year, this year's entertainment was provided by none other than uh, Macy Gray, who I'm a big fan of, and she uh, she gave a few songs, and I could swear that as she played her hit, I try. Um, and said, I play it off, but I'm dreaming of you, and I try to keep it cool, but I'm feeling, and she was looking at me, I could swear I could swear to you. So that was probably the highlight in terms of almost meeting someone that I've admired for for some time this year in, uh, in JCK. It's a very cool trip. Also here, Joshua Friedman, who did not make the trip to JCK, but I know that even though you weren't there in person, you were receiving dispatches the whole time. So uh, what was the funniest dispatch you got from JCK this year? I think actually the best moment was when um, Avi came back with a Levian pen uh, filled with diamonds. Um, but other than that, I was uh, interested to see that, um, this is something that we're probably going to talk about later, that De Beers announced their entry into the synthetic diamond jewelry market a day or two before the Vegas show started, um, which was obviously very clever timing and I'm sure made sure that everyone was going to be talking about it at the show. So that was probably my favorite dispatch. And here again, after his trip to Vegas, Rappaport's publisher, John Costello. So John, what about the show struck you as worth a laugh or maybe a cry? 
Well, I think one thing that really strikes in JCK is, number one, what a physical challenge it is, uh, because there's an awful lot of walking, um, a lot of talking, a lot of standing, and, you know, it's a a full-on marathon event that goes on quite a bit, and it's just unbelievable to see the passion of the people in our industry there and they range from all ages but it it really struck me the the amount of people who are in their 60s 70s 80s and seemingly beyond that still make the journey every year still have the same passion still hold themselves around the show and the show floor but what really struck me very strongly was i think the ceo of uh signet uh gina derosas she gave an absolutely great speech uh for their breakfast uh, meeting And I think uh, Gina is definitely a shining light in an industry that definitely needs more female leaders. And she just is a top, top class executive, top, top class business mind. And her message uh, that she was preaching about innovation and the fact that she's going to revolutionize Signet and the way they engage with customers, it it just really is a shining light of what the industry needs to do as a whole. So I, I thought it was a very, very great uh, presentation she did. And I, I thought her message was very, very strong. If only we bought Signet shares at that moment, eh, John? They're 30% up now, I think. Dope. (laughs) So one of the big features of any trade show is, of course, the trading that goes on there and uh, a sense of the market that can be felt in that trading. John, this year's show, what did you see in terms of trading and market sentiment? I think first and foremost, I think in general, people were reporting a a fairly healthy show in terms of the actual business being done. Uh, Most people did comment that the footfall was down. But again, as we heard in many other trade shows, that even though the footfall is lower, it actually means that the quality of the people, the attendees, seems to be higher. So so most people were reporting that it was satisfactory at, at a basic level in terms of the business being done. And again, the question is, you know, someone said to me, uh, they feel trade shows are suffering because people are buying so many goods on memo that they don't necessarily have to walk trade show floors and, and haggle and get prices, that they're just uh, ordering goods on memo. And that that means that the necessity to be at trade shows is, is definitely less than it, than it used to be. But it, there is something happening with trade shows and there is an evolving pattern that we saw it in Basel World, we saw it in Vegas. And I still think Vegas worked, but definitely there was, there was less footfall for sure. Avi, why would a shift to memo have a big impact on trading going on on the floor at a trade show? Well, it's not just a shift to memo. Um, it's also the availability of goods online. People can see um, see their, the inventory that their suppliers um, have available at the click of a button. And memo changes the game because they don't have to make a purchasing decision. They don't have to pay cash for the goods. They can take it and keep it in their stores and um, see if it sells and then pay for the piece once it sells. I think uh, in addition to to the memo trend, it's a long-standing trend now, but um, also the the availability of goods and the accessibility of people. You know, the world is a much smaller place today, so you can see your suppliers, you can see your your buyers all year round, and many people do, so the, the added benefits of the show is sort of diminishes from that point of view. Were you able to get a read on market sentiment at all at the show? Well, I'd agree with John. Um, I think not only was footfall down, but um, also exhibitor participation was a bit lower, I think, this year than previous years. But 
there was a good atmosphere at the show. People felt much more optimistic about the market than they did last year. And I think one exhibitor, one di- a loose diamond supplier who I spoke to summed it up well. He, had, he said he'd rather have a good market and a bad show than a good show and a bad market, which is what happened this year. This year, we've, we seem to have a good jewelry market and the show was maybe a little bit muted in terms of the, the traffic, um, whereas last year it was the other way around. Um, so I think people are feeling much more confident about the U.S. jewelry market, and we've seen that in, in the sales from the retail point of view this year. Joshua, maybe you could speak to that uh, sales from the retail point of view a little bit. Are we seeing in the numbers and are we seeing in movement, you know, what the sentiment seems to be, this optimistic sentiment at the show? We've certainly seen from the big jewellery retailers a large increase in sales in the the first few months of the year. Companies such as uh, Signet, who we mentioned, as well as uh, Tiffany and some of the larger department store chains in the U.S., including JCPenney and um, Macy's, have both said positive things about their jewellery sales in the first quarter. And I think people are expecting that to continue and expecting a a slight increase in sales in the, the holiday season. So that's all good to hear. Shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about De Beers' announcement of Lightbox and synthetics uh, as a subject in general at the show. Joshua, what was the announcement exactly? De Beers announced, I think it was, it was just at the end of May, so as I said before, a couple of days before JCK, they were going to sell lab-grown diamond fashion jewellery initially online and at a later stage they might also partner with some retailers and these are relatively low-priced fashion jewellery pieces that are sort of things that you might wear as a to an informal party but not something that you'd consider for an engagement ring or something that uh, at least this is the way it's being marketed not something that you'd buy for a, a special occasion and they are priced a lot lower than what other synthetics producers and synthetics marketers have been charging for lab-grown diamonds up until now. So it's only a th- uh, it's only $800 per carat. And uh, another interesting feature of the pricing is that it's strictly in accordance with the size. So a quarter-carat diamond will cost uh, $200. A half-carat lab-grown diamond will cost 400 and so on, um, unlike with natural diamonds where traditionally the pricing is not linear like that. So it goes up proportionally or um, not proportionally, in fact. The price per carat increases as the diamond increases in size. It seems like there's lots of potential benefits, but also some pitfalls that could come with De Beers' decision to get into the synthetics market. John, maybe you could speak to that? Yeah, I think many people are obviously looking at it with with great, great interest. Some uh, in a very positive way, some kind of uh, in a very negative way. I think the way uh, I see it is that the beers is definitely trying to put a gulf between natural diamonds and synthetic stones. And this gulf they're showing in their range, they said that they're not going to grade their synthetic uh, stones in, in the jewellery because they feel that 
in their words, you just press a button and a stone comes out. So why grade it? There's no rarity. Stones will be of an exact similar nature. Now, some of the synthetic guys would argue against that, but this is what the beers is saying. Also with the pricing, like 800 bucks for per card is a lot less than you would pay for a synthetic uh, one card stone. So they definitely seem to be uh, putting a gulf between it. And that's obviously to the beer's advantage because most of their money, their $6 billion uh, empire is based on natural stones. They're saying that this new venture will bring them in around uh, $200 million a year. So it's a fraction of their main business. A lot of people, though, are worrying, you know, saying, well, if we introduce people to uh, synthetic jewellery and synthetic diamonds and they feel it's credible because it's coming from the beers, then they may look and say, well, why can't my engagement ring be synthetic? Why can't other pieces of jewellery be synthetic? Because it, it looks and feels exactly like a natural. So people worry that the beers is opening the door for that. So definitely the beers is taking a gamble. And I think one immediate repercussion will be the synthetic companies may find it very difficult to sell a one-card stone for a couple of thousand plus dollars when their customers might say, well, the beers are selling a piece of jewelry with a one-card for $800. How does that calculate? So it's going to be very interesting. And, you know, you'd be a brave man to back either, but I think it's going to be a mix of both, but it's definitely going to be interesting. So what do you think, Avi? Do you think that uh, De Beers move legitimizes synthetics? Well, I mean, we traveled from Tel Aviv to Vegas. It was about a 16 to 18 hour journey and um, they made the announcement while we were on the flight. So I arrived at the airport in um, in Vegas and standing in security and saw the email from them and I thought, wow, this is going to be an interesting show firstly. Um, and this is going to be a game changer. And I really do think that this De Beers announcement is a game changer in the way the natural diamond market relates to the synthetic um, diamond market. And when I spoke to the exhibitors in the lab-grown diamond pavilion at JCK, they had two responses. They f- firstly said, see, this is the biggest diamond company in the world that's um, endorsing our product, which I thought was an interesting um, take. And I said, but what about um, the pricing? Because the diamonds I see in your display cabinets over here are priced at much higher higher prices. And so they became a bit more shy in their assessment of the announcement. Um, so I, I think there are two things that um, De Beers A sees a business opportunity here for themselves. And I, I think they are well entitled to go after that um, that business opportunity. And in that sense, it is an acknowledgement that there is a market for legitimate synthetic diamonds out there, which this really um, was the first real major acknowledgement from the natural diamond industry from that point of view. And then there's the aspect that the industry is disrupting their disruptors. You know, the synthetics market is um, is a threat to the natural diamond market um, from many points of view. But this, uh, I think, is quite a brilliant move by De Beers to disrupt that, um, that threat. And um, the big question for the natural market is that um, De Beers, on the other hand, is competing with um, low-cost natural diamond jewellery. If you walked the show, you saw a lot of um, pieces of diamond jewellery priced at $500 to $800 to $1,000. And so De Beers are entrenched in that market as well. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch as well, is um, how is De Beers operating in the low-priced fashion diamond jewellery market? 
But I think it's also very interesting, the pitch, the company, uh, the beers, the company that came up with the slogan, a diamond is forever. And they're very much saying a synthetic a synthetic diamond is absolutely not forever. In their media material, they were saying that, you know, their research showed that if someone bought this piece of jewellery and lost it on the beach, eh, they wouldn't really mind so much. And they, they very much said synthetic diamonds are fun, they're cool, they're beautiful, but they're not for big emotional mile, milestones in someone's life. So they're really saying that's for natural diamonds where synthetic diamonds are fun, but almost a throwaway thing. So they're really definitely trying to put that that chasm between natural and uh, synthetic stones. Yeah, the, the concern, I think, is that um, the language they were using about natural diamonds is that, that the natural diamonds are for once-in-a-lifetime emotional purchases. But the message that the industry should be trying to push is that, no, there's a once-in-a-lifetime purchase, but then there's the second and third and fourth purchase of natural diamonds as well. So I think that's where where there was some concern about the De Beers language that they were using, that uh, synthetics may be fun and uh, and used for jewellery that's for everyday use, but surely so is natural diamonds. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the criticism about De Beers involving this specific story, but also in a broader sense, is the beers is constantly trying to have its cake and eat it. In fact, not only have its cake and eat it, but also build a factory that bakes the cake, bakes the cake, packages the cake in its own box, buys the vans that distribute it and owns all the bakery stores where you buy it. So um, they're trying to do that now, moving into the synthetic market as well. But I I do think it's going to disrupt the synthetics market and that'll be exciting. As journalists, I think it's an exciting story to, to, to watch. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it unfold. And the other thing that De Beers was involved with and many companies were involved with in this show was uh, source verification for natural diamonds. This is another big threat to the industry in some ways and also a big opportunity. And I guess I'd just like to get a sense of why source verification has become so hot and seems just like just over the last year or two. Joshua, maybe you could tell us about that? I think it's basically because um, consumers are increasingly concerned about where they're products are coming from and it's not enough anymore just to trust the jeweler they want to see verification and they want to see something official on paper and the diamond industry has been forced to adapt to that so how would you say the diamond industry has been forced to adapt to the consumer demand john well, I, I think we see across a range of industries this uh, kind of consumer force um, being exerted on how companies operate and how companies source goods. We have it from the fashion industry, from big brands like Nike, where their shoes are made. You have it in the technology industry, where iPhones are built and the very component parts of different pieces of technology, where they source from as well. And I think ever since uh, Blood Diamond, uh, the movie came out, the natural industry has been a bit on the back foot. And the only solution to that is full transparency or as full uh, as we can get and I think consumers are demanding that and and also we just talked about synthetic a big uh, argument of synthetic manufacturers is oh these are ethical diamonds uh, you know so the natural uh, diamond industry is under pressure a lot more than others in terms of showing that transparency showing that these are not blood diamonds and be able to actually prove that, not just uh, for a sales pitch, but actually be able to legitimately show 
where the diamond came from, which mine it came from, where the diamond was manufactured, cut and polished, and then all the way to the retail store, and then all the way to uh, the person who's actually wearing that diamond either as a piece of jewellery or on their finger, wherever it may be. And that's really has become incredibly important. And I think most people in the industry recognize that. And the industry still has a lot of work to do. We've made great strides since Leonardo DiCaprio have brought the concept of blood diamonds and, and the news around blood diamonds and that story to you know a global audience. The diamond uh, industry really has a duty for itself and also its customers to bring transparency to the market and to ensure that diamonds that fund terrorism, that make people suffer, their employees or whatever, that these get marginalised and pushed and pushed and pushed until eventually they are not such a thing anymore. So Avi, were there any announcements at the show that really stood out to you about uh, source verification? Sure. Uh, Where do we start? Uh, there, there weren't any announcements of new programs that are being developed. Um, I think we got a, lot, a bit more information about um, the De Beers um, Tracker program, which is their blockchain initiative. And uh, there were many discussions around the blockchain issue. And I think there's still still some confusion about blockchain. There's a perception that it's um, that the blockchain is the answer to the source verification challenge, but really it's a technological tool that will improve the trust between people who are on that blockchain. And to Joshua and John's point, I think that you know source verification. Um, enables the industry um, two important things. One is it gives the jeweler a tool to show that the customer can trust them, trust being the definite, the opposite of word can. And the second thing is that it enables them to tell a story. And the combination of those two things is very important for the industry to grow and to install some confidence amongst consumers. In addition to De Beers' um, announcement about Lightbox, their synthetic um, program, the other big talking point at the show was uh, Martin Rappaport's speech in which he um, he actually was fairly supportive of the Lightbox initiative, but he um, took issue with, uh, with some of the source verification claims in the industry. Now, this speech, which is currently up on YouTube and available for anybody to see and can be found on diamonds.net, Martin takes a pretty hard stance on De Beers' move towards non-disclosure or a policy of requiring its site holders not to disclose the source of its diamonds. John, what does that mean for the industry? Well, look, David, firstly, I just want to say that De Beers wasn't the sole uh, whipping boy for for Martin Rappaport at his uh, breakfast speech at JCK. He called out many... uh, industry bodies and the industry in general and and saying the industry needs to do more. There's a lot of huff and puff in the industry, a lot of paper tigers, and it's it's very important that the the industry is much more pushing much more pushes for transparency in a very real way and stop just all the all the talk, as we say in Israel, the paka paka, and just get down to where the, the rubber meets the road. With regards to the beers, this is a, a big thing. Um, Martin is picking a big fight and, and he's really uh, on a crusade and um, I think people who were at the breakfast, uh, there was a big contingent of of retailers and and, and small manufacturers uh, and they were very much uh, applauding Martin. There were 
bigger site holders and, and, and bigger organisations and people in the beers and, and the organisations that, that Martin gave a bit of a pummeling to, they were a little bit taken aback. Um, Martin, as is his want and a part of his character uh, at these breakfasts, he's a, a force of nature. You know, he doesn't mince his words and, and sometimes the way he phrases things and the way he puts things can take or bend people out of shape a little bit. But if you brush away all the hoopla and, and Martin's presentation, whatever, and just get down to, to the bare bones of, of what he's saying. And what he's saying is that there's 42% of the world's production of le- legitimate diamonds that the beers are produces that on channels outside of the beers' own retail network, the beers are saying to site holders, you, you cannot tell people that these come from the beer's mines. And therefore, they're basically saying to the industry, for this 42%, no one can know that these are legitimate diamonds. So it makes it incredibly hard. What Martin and and many people in the industry want is mine to market. Consumers want to know what mine these stones came from. Um, And again, it's all about being transparent and legitimate. And as long as the beer's refusing to do this, and and Martin's also saying if if the beer's wants to protect their brand and and doesn't want people selling their diamonds, um, they just want to sell the beer's brand through their own channels, that's fine. They can use a different name of the invoice, like the Diamond Trading Company or something like that. Do you know what I mean? That can be traced. But this... This is a big fight in the industry and I I think it's a really key fundamental if we genuinely want to be able to go to consumers and to be able to trace that wonderful journey, that billion-year-old journey from when that stone bubbled up to the ground, it was mined, crafted and and put in a piece of jewellery and and, and sold. And it's a beautiful journey, but as long as the beers takes this stance, it really eliminates that honest and openness about, about where diamond comes from. And I think the industry is a big problem with it and definitely I think consumers at the end of the day just are, are demanding that and if we can't supply it they'll get it from somewhere else. Yeah, And just to clarify when the beer sells their diamonds to site holders it's disclosed that those diamonds come from either Botswana, Namibia, South Africa or Canada which are where the beers has their mines and um, so there's a vague country source of origin, but uh, they can't disclose that it's coming from De Beers, the company, and, and they're taking it a step further, then they can't disclose that it's coming from a particular mine in one of those countries. And in, in the blockchain discussion, uh, John raised this question to, to the panel, which consisted of the developers of De Beers blockchain, a representative from De Beers, one or two of the manufacturers who were involved in the program, among other people on the panel and they were arguing the point that a country of origin is is enough for marketing purposes and for a consumer confidence point of view and um, I think John you were arguing um, and I think that's the some of the philosophy behind Martin's argument is that it's not enough that country of origin is not enough and um, certainly one of four countries is not enough that to tell that complete story of the diamond and to um, install true trust in the the diamond's journey, you need to go from mine to market. Yeah, I think in that blockchain discussion where I really had to push uh, on the point and I was getting this kind of wall saying oh well our research says that customers or consumers aren't interested and retailers are interested Um, I don't believe that I think there was an air of arrogance about that I believe in freedom of information freedom of communication and I would suggest let the retailers decide let the consumer decide whether they want to know that information but that information has to be 
presented. And I think anyone in this day and age, whether it's the beers or anyone else, who says, oh, people don't really need to know country of origin so much or in a very vague general way, and they definitely don't need to know what mine they are, I think they're living in cloud cuckoo land. If you look at other industries that have been impacted and the gold industry at the at the moment with the use of mercury uh, and the, the situation that's causing. So consumers are just going to demand and demand and demand, and that's not going to go away. So we can say this or say that and say whatever, but consumer demand is going to win over. And if you go to any retailer, I think they will be saying they want as full of picture as they can get. And then it's up to them. Does that fit in with the story that a particular consumer wants to hear? So, John, where do you think this conflict is going to end? Look, I think one thing Martin Rappaport brings to any argument is a lot of energy and enthusiasm. Look, I think transparency is going to win out over the day. Whether it's this uh, battle that wins the war, there could be numerous other battles. But I think in the medium to long term, we're definitely going to have transparency. It's the way this industry and other industries are moving in terms of where they're sourcing material and products. So I think it can't be that the beers is, is hiding this information. So I, I think overall... We are going to go for transparency. Whether Martin Rappaport is victorious in in this battle, we'll see. Definitely going to be interesting to watch how it pans out. Great. Thank you so much for your insight from the show. Thanks, John. Thank you, David. Thank you, Avi. You're welcome. Thank you, David. Of course, thanks, Joshua. Thank you, David. And happy birthday to Sonia. Have you heard about the Rappaport Research Report? If you haven't, then you're missing out on the latest data report from the Rappaport team. Did you know that more than 80% of SI Clarity Diamonds in the 50-pointer category listed on RapNet in October 2017 sold within three months? Or that listings of three-carat diamonds jumped 30% on average across all categories in Antwerp this February? With the Rappaport Research Report, you can get valuable and actionable data to make smart, savvy investments and start increasing your profit margins. Don't get left behind. Subscribe to the Rappaport Research Report today to get business intelligence for the diamond industry. Joshua sat down with Sonia Esther-Soltani, Rappaport's editor-in-chief, to discuss her experience at JCK Las Vegas and the Couture Show. We are joined by our editor-in-chief here at Rappaport, Sonia Esther-Soltani. Sonia has just returned from the jewellery trade shows in Las Vegas, um, and she is here to talk to us about her trip to the Couture show. Sonia, as our resident French person, what does Couture mean, and why is it the name of a jewellery show? Hi, Joshua. It's the difference between couture and prêt-à-porter, so something high-end and something ready-to-wear. And you can see it when you go to the couture show. It's um, First, it's at the win. It's all very glitzy, glamorous. It's mostly jewelry designer, high-end jewelry designer. The layout is a bit more exclusive. The carpet is thicker. It's more intimate than JCK. JCK is a fantastic show, but couture has just this uh, air of exclusivity to it. And for jewelry designers to be there is, you know, quite a big thing. So if you're in the jewelry trade, why do you go to Couture? For a few reasons. The first one is to get inspirations. It's very often the, the big trends will actually start at Couture and then the following years you might see them at JCK, maybe with uh, smaller stones or less, you know, expensive gold. So, you know, instead of the 24, 18 carat gold you might get. 
um, 14 karat gold, for example. But the inspiration is there because that's where you really have the top end designers. The big names are there. Messica, Dior, you name it. You know, everyone who's anyone is, has, a, has a villa and a, a special exhibition room. You also go there because you want to find exclusive designers. Um, if you're an independent drawer in a place where your customers uh, want something very exclusive, that's a great place to get your um, next collections. And there's also something very interesting about couture is that you actually discover up-and-coming designers. So people who are just, you know, starting their career, usually work maybe for other big companies, they actually exhibit in a place called, um, there's a designer space just for them. They're there for three years. It's on invitation, very selective. And very often these names are the ones that will become big and bigger. And um, so that's, that's why people would, you know, would go to couture. What were the, what were the new design trends that you saw this year? There's everything. <laughs> there was a lot, a lot of different things. You had the big earrings, you had the big cocktail rings, you had a lot of stacking again. And um, I think what was interesting is like when I spoke to designers, they asked them, you know, what, who do you design for? Who do you think will actually wear your pieces? And they all said the same. Whichever designs they were creating, they said the self-purchasing woman. So it's very often type of jewelry, you know, you find bridal also at Couture, very interesting uh, designers working on, you know, innovative designs for bridal. But what's more interesting is like you have pieces that are really about a woman buying for herself. So not something that you would buy, you know, like more a statement piece, a big cocktail ring, a lot of stacking, a lot of um, evening pieces that you would wear, a lot of also very casual luxury pieces. So that was that was a lot of the, the things I saw and really liked when I was there. We've heard mixed reports about the high-end jewellery market. Um, how is that market according to what you heard when you were at Couture? That's true, there's mixed report. But I think the luxury market, especially in the US, is doing very well. I was the the last day of the show, you know, and people usually pack a bit early, but there were still people doing business, dealers being there, retailers being there, you know, looking at extremely expensive, one-of-a-kind pieces. So, And for all the people I spoke to, I spoke to a lot of designers, they all said it had been a very good show. The response had been uh, positive, they felt very optimistic, and they had already some orders going, and they had done a lot of business. So I think the fact that Couture is a very um, welcoming, convivial show really helps as well for people, and people know each other as well. So, But there was definitely a lot of traffic, even on the last day. So if this year is the year of self-purchasing, what are people expecting for next year? That's a great question, Joshua. I think it's going to be more and more because, you know, what everybody was saying, there's lots of um, the Me Too movement certainly is going to help more and more women getting into these top executive positions or, you know, get higher salaries. So I think that's actually, you know, a lot of the, the pieces I saw were actually very empowering and not about a big status flash thing, but like, you know, beautifully designed, uh, nice cut of diamonds, very rare gemstones as well. So I think I think the self-purchasing lady is here to stay. Sonia, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. If you enjoyed this and are looking for more diamond and jewelry industry news and information, check out the recently released June issue of the Rappaport magazine where Martin Rappaport expounds on the dangers and advantages of free trade and Trump's new trade policies. And if you are looking for an edge for your diamond trading business, check out the Rappaport Research Report, Business Intelligence for the Diamond Industry.
For Avi, John, Joshua, and the whole Rappaport team, thanks for joining us. Thank you.